just uh, it, it's just been a joy to have them. Uh, it, it's been a great week. Nora did a great job organizing this. Um, it takes a lot of work, a lot of planning, and I doubt if I hope most of our kids came back with the same clothes that they took. You know, but you never know. You know, we went by the wall that was in the enclosure of the swimming pool and uh, that last morning to have breakfast. And when we went by, there was still a multitude of towels and uh, shoes and all kinds of stuff on that wall that was being left there. Some parents this morning are not very happy. But uh, I, I think our guys and the girls did pretty good in, in taking home what they brought. Um, but again, as Nora said, thank you for the financial help to enable this many children to go into altar times was incredibly blessed. Um, I, I was able to connect some dots uh, on what I was working on in the message for this morning and at kids camp. And I'm not kind of down in kids camp when I get to this, but... I'll just go ahead and tell you the title for my message today is Cleanliness is Next to Godliness. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> if you believe that, say amen. amen. I was raised by a mom that that was like, that was almost like the 13th commandment, you know, or the 12th, whatever. She just was on to like clean your rooms, make your bed. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I want to tell you that I'm one of those people that I make my bed every morning, at least my side of the bed every morning. And I heard, now, don't draw any conclusions there. I, I'll, I'll do her side too if I need to. But I, I remember hearing a guy give a speech about uh, different things. I think it's at a graduation ceremony. You probably know about the speech. And he said, the one thing you need to do is make your bed every morning because no matter what happens during the day, at least you come home and you see you accomplish something. <laughs> and I don't know if you have many days like that, but it, you might be like, I think I'll do that because on one of those hard days, I come back and say, look, I did accomplish something. I made my bed. Um, but I'm going to take you to the first chapter of Isaiah here to start off with. And... Uh, do you know what Bible verse, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness? Do you know what Bible verse that's in? <laughs> you got these people over here that are walking Bibles. Uh, it's, it's not a verse. But the principle is there, right? I will tell you, I don't know. Does anyone know where that phrase is charted back to the source as to who was the original person that made that statement a, an impactful statement and is traced back to a very well-known preacher in the 1700s, John Wesley. In a sermon in 1778, he used that message to call out what's going on in the social context of the world that he lived in that from the 1500s to the 1800s, there became this idea that taking a bath on a regular basis was not healthy. It's kind of like what, you know, I don't know how many of you know about Dr. Albert Schweitzer, the famous doctor that 
had a hospital in Africa. I think he died in the 1960s, but um, he had the dirtiest surgery in all of Africa. And his, if you pull his name up, this was what he lived by, reverence for life, all kinds of forms of life. He said you just need to protect life no matter what it is, even bacteria life. He said the bacterial life is good for something, so he had the dirtiest surgery. He says it will help bring healing. You see how crazy some things can get that he probably had a lot of people die in surgery that, from surgery that shouldn't have died. But this kind of idea was prevalent in John Wesley's day, and she called it out, said cleanliness is next to godliness. Um, and I'm going to take you to... This is a familiar passage in Isaiah chapter 1. This is the longest recorded prophecy in the Old Testament. 66 chapters, but it's the long, by far the longest prophecy recorded in the Old Testament. And by the way, when we went to Russia in 2000, the missionary there told us, says, now you're going to land in Moscow. It's one of the busiest airports, and it's got like the world's longest, tallest escalator. And he says, it's going to be jam-packed in there. We just want to warn you that Russians do not believe in taking baths on a regular basis. And if you even Google it now, many Russians only take one bath per week throughout their... But they just... When we got crowded in on that escalator... Kelly, you remember that. It was like, that was a long time to hold your breath. That's just... We're turning blue. It was, you just couldn't fathom, like, this looks like a developing country. Yes, it was a developing country at the time. But they just, they, they're dirty. They, they smell very bad. And you just, they, they look okay. But we, we should have been preaching cleanliness is next to godliness going up that escalator. But you think about what Isaiah was saying when he was prophesying and recording this prophecy. In uh, verse 18, this is a familiar passage. Come now, let us, I think the King James says, reason let, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Context is everything when you're reading Scripture, right? So this, we can pull that out from its setting but go back to verse 15 because this is the setting that that statement is made. When you spread out your hands in prayer, he's, he's talking to the people that he's, same group of people that verse 18 is talking to. It says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. In other words, I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. Even when you offer many prayers, you can pray as much as you want to. I am not listening why is he not listening and he tells them a reason he says your hands are full of blood wash and make yourselves clean take your evil deeds out of my sight stop doing wrong learn to do right seek justice I want you to see if there's, a, is, if there's a theme here in the closing words of verse 17. And the very next verse is verse 18 we just read. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. 
Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. What is he addressing there? He's addressing social ills, social wrong, people who've been overlooked, and he calls them out. And that leads him to say in verse 18, come and let us think about this matter. Let us sit down and give this serious thought. Though your sins, your hands are full of blood, you're ignoring all these people who need help, you're just in your own little world. But he says, though your sins are that bad as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In other words, he says, all of that can change if you turn to me. He's challenging them to stop doing what they're doing. But the ability to do that comes from him. So this is the first thing I want. This first point is that God's cleansing changes our standing with him. It changes how we are before him and how he sees us. The cleansing that we allow him to do. He even said, though your sins be as scarlet. They sh- this is his cleansing of our lives. And this is the only way we can really be clean is when he cleanses us. They had blood on their hands. They were doing the things that was not of him. And he sees this, and he's, and he's doing something. He's calling them out. He's calling the people to be responsible for what they're not doing and the things that they are doing. There were things, you know, the sins of omission can be more profound than what people are doing. It's not what people are not doing that sometimes is more problematic. He says, you're, you're ignoring people who have needs. You're just going about your own life, focused on your own world. But there's a cleansing from the Lord that changes us in here, Right? Changes our soul. In fact, we cannot really change our heart. He has to change our heart. Now, what is our part there? Our part is being willing to allow his truth to penetrate our lives and give us his strength and his ability to get things where it needs to be, to allow him to get us where we need to be. There's a cleansing from the Lord that changes our hearts where we really live and think. You know, and what's inside of us matters. What's inside our heart matters on how we live and how we treat other people, the righteousness that comes from the Lord. And God's cleansing is all about the heart. I'm going to take you to Psalm 51. Um, You probably know what I'm about to read, right? Psalm 51. I'm going to read this. I've got notes here, but I want to read this from the Bible itself. You think about this. David's worst, worst mistake, worst sin, worst decision that he made in his life was his fornication and adultery with Bathsheba. And then turn around when she got pregnant and had her husband, who was in a battle, framed to be killed. Boy, you think about how how serious that was. And so God speaks to him, and and there's a cost, right? There was a cost. God gave him three choices, and, and he had to choose. It was like none of the above. He had to choose one, and he chose the judgment. And God judged him for that. But not only did God judge him for that, think about this. He inspired him to write a song about it, so that everybody could sing about it. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want the worst thing I've done in my life 
to be in the hymn book. And yet, why would God take something that happened to David that was so, uh, it, it was a big blight on his life. This was the biggest thing that he did that was catastrophically wrong and sinful. And yet, listen to how he's talking to God about the heart and the cleansing of the heart. He says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And watch how many times or references he gets to having cleansing or something going on within his soul. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, remove them, cleanse them, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. There's different words for sin there, the things that he did. He said, I need all of that to be cleansed away for I know my transgression and my sin, that's, that sin, what he did was reminded of him every day because Bathsheba became his wife and the child that she birthed from him died and everybody when they saw them remembered how all that happened that's tough isn't it and yet here he's writing about it and he says my sin is always with me and against you you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justify when you judge I had it coming what are you saying Lord you needed to judge me verse 5 surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts, down in my soul. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. And here, verse 7, another word for cleanse. This word cleanse is, is multiple times here. But the vast majority of the times this word cleanse is used is in Leviticus and Exodus. wonder why. God was bringing them out of bondage. And he wanted them to focus on getting their lives pure. Washing, the cleansing, and all of that. Whether it was outward or inward, he wanted to focus on getting all of that behind them. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. This is a man who walked close with God, but you can see how desperate he is to have all of that washed away. In the last verse, all of this is dealing with the heart, the conditional heart. Creating me, Lord, creating me a pure heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit in me. The cleansing that we all need is in here. It starts here. Our, how we act and how we respond to things starts within here. You know, I, I still remember that one time that my dad heard me say a word that was unacceptable. And uh, my brother was hurting me, and I, I don't even remember what I said, but I remember the consequence. And, he, and my dad overheard it. Only thing I said to him was it slipped. He says, uh, yeah, we're going to get it out so it won't slip anymore. <laughs> and you never enjoyed a bar of soap like lava soap on a toothbrush. And I was coughing and choking and gagging. And he's like, we're getting it out of there. We're getting that word out of there. And this is what he was saying. From the abundance of the heart, 
the reason certain words come out at certain times, where are they located? In here. And there is a truth to this. When David is saying, Lord, I need cleansing here. For if this gets clean, this here gets clean. We come to a place where this is ruling this, then vice versa, right? Sometimes this gets out of control. I'm just saying, right? Sometimes it gets out of control. And we have to apologize and go forward. But God wants our heart. If we can get this, hide the word of God in our heart, it will transform this. It will transform what we see and what we speak. God's cleansing is always about his abiding presence. I'm going to take you to John 14 here in just a moment. But it it is the presence of Jesus in our lives that changes our focus. Um, This week was a phenomenal week. Just to hang out with Joshua, um, go zip lining. And, you know, I, I learned so much about some of our kids I, I text one of the fathers of one of the kids that was hanging out with Joshua. And I watched him when one of our guys always had a ball cap on. One of the bigger kids in the other cabin had grabbed his ball cap and was holding it up out of reach. And poor little guy was just trying his best to find it. Before I knew it, when Isaiah saw it, I didn't call his right name, so there you go. When he saw it, he bolted out. He was like this, and this kid was like taller than me. He bolted out, and and he got a winding up. And when he got to him, he hit him across the back part of him as hard as he could. Bang! Of course, I was going behind him. And I said, give him his hat back. And he gave him his hat back. But I saw something in him that he was willing to risk his own like danger because he determined that was injustice, that a bigger guy was picking on a little guy the same size as him. And I thought, this is what, this is what the, the heart responds. When the heart sees something wrong, there's this tendency, that's not right. Are you following me? And when God does that in our heart, it establishes a, a measurement of right and wrong. I, was, I was, heard a conversation, I was in a conversation about AIs can develop a religion, uh, a complete religion. And I don't know how much you've heard about artificial intelligence. And I said, well, there's got to be some kind of measurement about what's right and wrong. So where what's going to be the measurement, what's going to be the standard to appeal to people to join that standard. To me, Christianity is the standard of all standards. Forgive, not pay back what has been done to you. It is a different standard. And this is what he's talking about in the heart. The heart is where all of these things take place. But it's about the body and presence of the Lord. In John 14, in verse 23, there's a statement that Jesus makes. And the statement goes like this. This is in the upper room. This is the Last Supper. He says, if anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. 
My Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. My Father and I will come and make my home with him. What is Jesus saying about this? If you go back up to the start of chapter 14, you'll find that this is the backdrop to verse 23. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? As a question mark here. Some of them make it translate as a sentence. But if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. Some of you probably prefer the King James there, right? Sounds much better. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. There's a lot of songs that's been inspired by mansions. Well, it's actually a dwelling place or a room. This is the only place in all the New Testament. This is where a word study is really neat. This is the only place in the New Testament that that Greek word appears. Only two places in the same chapter. When he says in verse 23, we will make our home in the singular Monet. And then earlier in John chapter 14, in my father's house are many Monai, which is plural, many dwelling rooms, many rooms. You know, I don't, I, someone asked me about Revelation in Sunday school class about, you know, my take on it, and, and I'll just, I've come to this conclusion at my age, okay? Jesus is coming back when he decides to come back. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? You don't have to worry about dispensationalism. You don't have to worry. And, and, and I had someone that I, resp- I asked that if, if your timetable is right, then you're saying Jesus cannot come tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, in the next two years, the next three years. If you're putting this kind of, and I just believe that he's going to come back when he decides to come back. He's not going to check with us. And yet, he says, I will go. And, and, and the new Jerusalem is, how, what's the dimensions of the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven? It's 1,500 miles cube, 1,500 miles square, but 1,500 miles high. When, when that measurement, John gets that measurement in Revelation, 1,500 miles, that's a big old city. And that's the house of God. But you know what? In my thinking, I believe he just gave that measurement to let us know that it's bigger than anything we could fathom. But the main thing is what? It's not the size, it's whose house it is. And that he's preparing a place for you in that house. Now, why do we get off thinking, I wonder how my room's going to look? <laughs> what kind of decorations, you know? <laughs> it's like, no, 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 it's not going to be what's in the room, it's whose room it is. And this is why this other passage in verse 23 is that me and my father will come and dwell in you. And the presence of the father and the son, it happens through the means and, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
that he comes to live within us. We have God with us, but think about it. We have God in us. Here's the last thing. God's cleansing is always about lining up with his will and his purpose. Um, during one of the altar calls at kids' camp, and, and the praise team can come back up if they will. During the altar time, one of the altar times, they were talking about people who are called into ministry, kids that feel called into ministry. And again, I kind of go back in my mind when I went to youth camp, there was no such thing as kids' camp. It was you tried to get in on the youth camp as early as you could. And because my mom was a lifeguard, we got to go in sometimes earlier than what we're supposed to. But when God calls you, you know, my mother would ask me almost after every year youth camp, Charles, uh, has God called you to be a missionary? I said, no, no, didn't hear that at all. No, I don't, I don't know. La, 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 la. <laughs> no, I didn't get any indication. I was like, after a while, I got to think, does, does she want me somewhere else? You know, I was like, well, what's that about? And even when I got up in high school, you, you sure God has called you to missionary? I said, no, she, not, no, not, not, not a, no. <laughs> no, she had called me. But when the Lord started dealing with me in college, especially at Jacksonville State University when I was there as a freshman, there was no doubt that he was starting to nail me about something. As much as I ran from it and like, no, please, please. No, I can't do that. I'm, I, I, I can't be in front of people like that. I, I gave every excuse. In a year, he wore me down. But when we were talking that with kids, that ministry is everywhere. God, is God calling you to minister? Ministry, to me, I think we, we kind of like make that only evangelism, pastors, Bible teachers, whatever, missionaries. And I, I had a chance to our group say, you know, all of us are called to ministry. All of us are called to the service. Sensitive teachers, workers with children, workers with youth, more ranger commanders, impact sponsors. We have so many, listen, we have so many people in ministry in this church. And when we talk about call to ministry, we're talking about call to serve. But every single one of us are called to minister to God, to love Him, to serve Him, to worship Him, to yield ourselves to Him, to give ourselves to Him every day. Lord, here's my life. It doesn't belong to me. You purchased me by the blood on the cross and by your death. I belong to you. I want you to stand with me for a moment. I want you to think about, Lord, instead of asking Him, what do you want me to do? I'd rather you just say, Lord, I surrender myself to you. You know me better than I know myself. You know what I can do and you know what I can't do. But you can also empower me to do things that in myself 
don't feel like I can do that, Lord. But if that's what you want me to do, you will have to help me. And maybe there's some in this room that you, you feel pulled. You don't know what toward, but you feel that the Lord is pulling you to surrender your life. If it's just serving Him, if it's becoming a man and woman of prayer, of intercession, Lord, here's my life. The day I, I surrender to you. It's your own blood that washed me and cleansed me. And I give back the product that you have made in me. I give that back to you and ask you, Lord, shake me, mold me, fill me, use me. And if that's you, I want you to just step out from where you're standing and come and stand here at the front and say, Lord, I surrender. what it is right now, but just to say I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do. Because you will enable me to fulfill it as you call me. You will enable me, you will empower me. Lord, I surrender myself to you. If that's you, just come and join me because I tell you what, every day 